This is our episode 99. <laughs> Next week is episode 100 for us. 100, baby. And we've also breezed past our two-year anniversary without kind of mentioning it. So we're kind of wrapping it into one there. I'll, <laughs> I'll bring some stats. We'll we'll talk about some memories and things like that. But won't be a, won't be crazy different. Just maybe an extra little talking point or two. Yeah. Thanks for being with us. Yeah. Joining the journey. That's crazy. Welcome back to another episode of Is Fitz Happy. I'm Luke. And I'm Emma. And this week we're discussing chapter 33, The Quarry. We finally made it. We're here. <laughs> Bit to go yet. <laughs> I mean, yeah, there's like 10 more chapters. So, Beginning of this chapter is discussing old legends and the similarities and differences between the mountain folks and Buck's versions. Because a lot of these stories that the author of this epigraph is going over is kind of just cultural differences, but you can tell the bare bones are the same story. So the beginning says, There are legends among the mountain folk of an ancient race, much gifted with magic and knowing many things now lost to men forever. These tales are in many ways similar to the tales of elves and old ones that are told in the six duchies. So... In my mind while reading this, I was like, okay, obviously these are all about the elderlings in some way. Right. And got warped into different wondrous tales about elves and old. Yeah, capital O, old ones. <laughs> yeah, old ones, which, you know, elderlings, kind yeah. of similar. Yeah, but it does make me wonder, because it seems as though the mountain people know the word for elderlings, too. So it's strange to me that they have myths about these strange mystical creatures, but then also talk about the elderlings separate from that. Well, the old ones and the elves are bucks races that they're talking about. They never name what the mountain kingdom names them. Right. So maybe they say that they're elderlings or maybe they just talk about this old race and like everybody else in the book assume that the elderlings are just the dragons or the stone dragons because there's also that misconception that's floating around from right you know that got mixed up so maybe they just have a different idea of what the elderlings are right and they're that's talking fair. about the same thing fair enough i don't know so this one specifically goes over a story of like the mountain kingdom has the story of the flying sled and the orphan boy, while the Buck Duchies or the Six Duchies has the flying chair of the widow's son. Who can tell which telling was first is the question that is posed here. And it goes a little bit more into detail saying that the folk of the Mountain Kingdom talk about this ancient race a little bit more. And they say that that race is responsible for a lot of the strange monuments around the mountain and around in the forests that you may chance upon. They are also credited with lesser achievements, such as some of the games of strategy, and a peculiar wind instrument powered not by a man's lungs, by, by, but by breath trapped in an inflated bladder, which sounds like bagpipes to me. Right. Or I, some sort of similar instrument. Right. And this idea that people from Buck are more... 
taken away from the experience. Like they, they see this more as just an old wives tale. Whereas the mountain kingdom people would be more likely to view these stories as real and maybe a, a little exaggerated, but for the most part, they like have things to look at, to point to, to say, Oh, that's like the elves doing or whatever. Mm-hmm. I think it's really interesting. And it kind of reflects to real life where typically people in more developed areas and bigger cities are less likely to be superstitious. Whereas like people who live in the middle of nowhere and have less access to like, I don't know, th- their, their world is less touched by right. man. <laughs> it's easier to explain away the unexplainable by like superstition. And so I thought that was really fun, but I think it also goes hand in hand with the distance though, because you know, six duchies are further away. And if the mountain kingdom people can actually see the evidence scattered around their forests, they can more steadily claim and be sure of the fact like, yeah, none of our ancestors made this. Right. And we have stories of old people making crazy stuff. So obviously them. Yeah. Yeah. No, I was also going to say that too, that like clearly they have things to actually point to right? and they are correct. (laughs) So yeah, it's just really interesting and well done. There's also tales of ancient cities beyond the mountains, things like that, that the mountain kingdom have, which again point towards the elderlings for all of us. And the last thing that the author of this epigraph says, again, I'm assuming it's Tom Badgerlock slash Fitz, but the author claims that Nowhere in all of their literature, spoken or written, talking about the Mountain Kingdom people, have I found any account of how these people ceased to be. So again, it's that big mystery of where did the Elderlings go? How did they disappear so fast? We know that there was a cataclysm somewhere along the way. We know that Claris was seeking to eliminate the dragons. And I think that extends to the Elderlings in some capacity. Right. But... It is still kind of a mystery throughout all of the series. We know some of the major events, but like, why did they fully abandon the cities? Why did they fully leave everything? Is Were they just searching for, you know, more silver because that river had gone astray in the cataclysm? Or right. Were they moving to different lands? Were they migrating south to get closer to Aslovjal because they know they had a sister city over there and they kind of ended up staying in the six duchies? Right. And I think another interesting thing to point out is that at least in Fitz's telling of this tale, there aren't really bodies that show up. Right. Like weird elongated bones or Mm -hmm. like giant people. They're just gone. Yeah. There there are no, literally no traces even of the remnants of the people. And I do wonder if partially that is because maybe when they fled into the skill pillar, like something happened and they're all just trapped in there forever. Um, which would explain no physical beings left behind or traces of them. But that would mean every single elderling would have had to been able to use the skill pillars. Number one and number two, every single one of them didn't make it out. There were also, People who were not elderlings who lived around those cities as well, Mm -hmm. you know, the farmers and things like that. So I feel like that's unrealistic because also, according to our other theories of how the skill comes about, it's like the mixing of the elderling blood with uh, people over there or maybe the two different kinds of elderlings mixing together. Right. 
some of the elder elderlings had to settle somewhere, you know? Right. So while, yeah, the skill pillar idea is good and it solves some of the problems, there is also the mysteries of like, then how did everything else happen? Right. <laughs> yeah, it is. I don't know. It just feels odd that there's never once a mess, a mention of like bones or bodies mm-hmm. being found. And maybe there are. And so, like in the Rainwild Chronicle trilogies or like the trilogies that deal with the Rainwild people, maybe there's like some off mention in one sentence. But technically like, it's a quadrology, right? There's oh, four yes. books. But yes. Do both of them have four? No, just, just the Rainwild Chronicles. Right. But both groupings of books on the Rainwild. I don't think either of them say anything. No, I don't think so either. And you would think that'd be something that, uh, what is her name, Alice, that she would know and talk right. about at least briefly if it were mm-hmm. widely known. I don't know. I don't even remember conversations about that in the Live Ship Traders from Rain or his family when he's, he's explaining right. like the excavations of the cities. Yeah, because you would think... Like maybe it's been long enough that they've all turned to dust in that time. But yeah, I suppose bones don't last forever. Although we still find human bones that were around like thousands of years ago. So how long ago were the elderlings around? And they should be fairly well preserved there as well. If it was mud. Right. And like swampy in nature, because I think I could be wrong, but I feel like that preserves things or does that break things down more? I thought that preserved uh, like bogs preserve bodies, mm. but I, I don't guess think if a it swamp is would. <laughs> also, if it's like acidic right. water that's seeping through, it could destroy things faster. That's true. I didn't think about the acid nature. So, I don't know. We'll have to keep an eye out for those kinds of things, though, and, and remains. But yeah, pretty much. They're just gone. The author is correct. Yeah, we, we even as rereaders and readers, we don't fully know exactly what happens if you guys have theories out there or more concrete evidence that you can let us know of, that'd be awesome. Yeah. But as it stands, the group is traveling along this road. And finally, after three days, they say they reach the quarry. They reach the end of the road and they get to the, the final destination on their map. The last place that they have not been yet. And Fitz makes mention that this whole time he's been feeling more alive than ever as a reminder that he thinks he's going to die. Mm-hmm. So he's really soaking in every single second of being alive. And the fool has not, he fits, make sure to make note that the fool has not mentioned anything else about what he possibly foresaw for fits. Because one, why would you, if you actually did foresee that? And number two, he didn't right. foresee that. <laughs> <laughs> So Fitz is still convinced that he is dying soon. (laughs) There's a big description of this gigantic quarry. It is twice the size of Buckkeep Castle. It is the large black sheer stone walls descending into this quarry where the road just seemingly ends out of nowhere. There is stagnated water in the, the bottom of it. There is no sign of anything living. Animals or plants, greenery of any kind otherwise, besides the the green, murkyish, stagnated water. Right. And there are blocks of this black rock Mm -hmm. just scattered about. Along with remnants of old ancient machines that were 
probably used to mine or transport these blocks. So rusted metal and rotting wood. Yes. And it says that the blocks were bigger than buildings, which is wild, but I guess makes sense because all of these dragons are like the size of a horse and cart or like, you know, like huge. And also this would be the quarry that they use to at least one of the quarries that they use to mine to make, you know, the standing skill pillars. Right. Some of the road they could use it to make Kelsinger itself. I'm sure there is a couple mines or quarries around, but this is not just all dragons, I'm sure. Yeah. It's probably what it d- delved into yes, with time. Yeah. But devolved, yeah. yeah. Devolved, thank you. So they make it here and silence is kind of gripping the party. And Fitz notices two things immediately. One, that there is a skill pillar there. That it is right in the center of their pathway. And The second was what I mentioned before, the absolute absence of animal life. Night Eyes makes a little comment about that as well and says, perhaps we shall learn to eat rocks now. (laughs) (laughs) And they immediately start to think about how they're going to progress. Fitz is like, well, we'll have to hunt elsewhere. And the fool's like, well, we'll have to gather water elsewhere as well. Right. But Ketrakin takes it a different way and doesn't take it in stride because they are at the end of this path that they've been following. They reach the end of their map and Faraday is not there. Right. And this is a large wave of hopelessness coming over her where she's finally having to accept that maybe her husband is dead. Mm -hmm. I think this shows that there was actually some hope brewing in Ketrakin. She really was like moving forward on faith mm-hmm. and when we get here and it's as seemingly empty there's nothing there they don't hear anything Fitz isn't sensing anything so on some level i'm sure ketra can also can recognize that there's no life in the vicinity it would be heartbreaking that mm-hmm. you've come all this way for nothing essentially Fitz notes that she is too weary and discouraged to even weep about this just she just kind of sinks down next to the skill pillar right kind of stun locked right and i do want to point out that fitz does not say anything to her he says because he can't think of anything comforting to say but i want to point out that this is a really good example of exactly what he realized he did wrong with starling that when starling was telling him about the problems or whenever she had her fingers broken, he is emotionless to her because he isn't saying anything. He's not, you know, comforting the people he loves in this. He feels her sorrow and therefore feels like that is enough to comfort, I guess. I don't know. I will say he, I think he doesn't feel like it's enough to just feel the sorrow at this point. He just doesn't know what to say. Right. But I, I but, agree with yeah. your point. Like, I yeah, think this is another example yeah, to a larger pattern of <laughs> Fitz not really speaking out loud and potentially coming off as a little cold. <laughs> Honestly, I wouldn't know what to say there either. That's fair. <laughs> that is a tough situation where your leader just kind of sits and stares. Right. But you'd think you'd at least like pat her on the shoulder or something. You know, I don't know. I feel like, <laughs> verbalize that you don't have any you don't know what to say you'd you'd hope to do better in a difference in the same situation but But who knows (laughs) 
So as Ketrickin is having this moment, Night Eyes interrupts Fitz's thoughts to let him know that he smells carrion. Yes, something is very dead not far from here. And Fitz is kind of uh, not not really upset, I would say, but more like this is not the time and place. Go roll in it, basically. Right. Go go find out, Night Eyes. I don't care. He says that pretty much out loud, and Night Eyes trots off, and Kettle and Starling look at him. Like, that's not the right thing to say right now. <laughs> right. <laughs> and he also talks a little bit about how the fool is nodding vacantly to mm-hmm. his response of it was to the wolf. Yeah. And he, he just basically just reflects on the fool situation over the past few days in the brief lull that we have of Ketrickin sitting down and Night Eyes going trotting off. Yes. And apparently... The fool is still drinking elf bark under Kettle's insistence, although it is weaker elf bark tea because it is mostly reused and they don't really have very much left. So it's what they can give him. And through the weakness, he can sometimes feel their skill bond. And he almost feels as though the fool can feel it too. Mm-hmm. That occasionally they'll he'll look at the fool and see this the bond. And the fool will look back at him across the way with no words spoken. He just reflects that the fool doesn't seem to be getting good rest. He's just kind of moaning and muttering through his dreams. And he reminds Fitz of a man recovering from a long illness. He hoarded his strength in many small ways. He spoke little. Even his bitter merriment had vanished. It was but one more worry for me to bear. So just in general, kind of out of it and exhausted by everything, not even really getting the energy anymore from the elf bark, as weak as it it is. Yes. And I think this is really interesting because you would think that the being able to feel the skill bond would let Fitz know, like, danger, the fool is in danger, somebody could use this, like something could be going wrong, but there doesn't seem to be a sense of worry about being attacked by the skill. And maybe it's just because he's so tired. I think kind of the vibe Fitz gives off this last chapter and this current chapter is kind of, he's tired. He's tired of caring and he's going to keep caring because that's who he is, but it's just too much to worry about altogether. It feels like that's the vibe for the whole party, to be honest. It's just months of, you know, trekking along and one disaster after another with not much hope besides like, I kind of felt him alive through the skill, but I can't explain it. Right. (laughs) Taking care of first fits being, have his mind wandering and then the fool having all of these issues too with Kettle not being very forthcoming with any knowledge and Ketrickin having her own worries in her head and Starling being right. abrasive at times. Like <laughs> all of this just seems to be wearing on them and they got finally to the end of it and nothing to gain. Right. Nothing to show. Right. So they're at the end of the line here and Fitz is just thinking about that new development with the fool and we get an interruption from Night Eyes discovering that the dead thing that he smelled was a man. And Fitz, he immediately thinks Verity and goes rushing over there as he smells the horrid stench through Night Eyes' senses. 
He finds the body kind of wedged in between two rocks, looks like it was trying to hide or get away from something. And he pulls the body out and recognizes it's not Verity, but it does take him a little bit to see that it is Carid. When he uh, takes off the belt and the pouch and stuff and, and leaves the body again and goes back to the group. Right. I think it's really interesting because when Night Eyes first says he smells something dead, Fitz's first reaction was not like, maybe it's Verity. He just didn't even think of it. I think that's another sign that like they're very mm-hmm. tired and weary. But here we have this fear of like, oh my gosh, we came all this way. We didn't find him because he is dead. And it almost feels like Fitz never really believed it was Verity. He said Verity and went running, but I, I we get so little of emotion other than I knew what I had to do. I pulled this person out from between the rocks and it's not Verity. And so it's like, I feel like in the way it's written, Fitz didn't truly believe it was Verity. It just was like a, oh, what if it is? Yep, exactly. I, he was so preoccupied by what was happening to Ketrickin and not knowing how to do anything that when he was startled back to awareness of like what they were there for, he's like, right. Oh, first thought. What yeah. if it is? <laughs> <laughs> and it isn't. And it is Carid. The fool asks how he died and Fitz doesn't really know. So he kind of suspects that the skill might have been involved because there's no real marks on him at all. Right. And they bring him back or bring the, uh, the pouch and stuff back to camp. There's nothing really in them besides, couple coins and flint flint and steel right which Fitz admits he's not really sure what he was trying to get out of it but he had to like immediately get rid of it because it smelled so strongly of death mm-hmm. kettle then asks you know what killed him once they explain who it was and Fitz again says he suspects that it was the skill but whatever it was he tried to hide from it between those rocks Let's get away from the smell. We retreated back to the pillar. Night Eyes and I came last and more slowly. I was puzzled. I realized I was putting everything I could into keeping my skill walls strong. Seeing Carrot dead had shocked me. One less coterie member, I told myself. But he was here. Right here in the quarry when he died. If Verity had killed him with a skill, perhaps that meant Verity had been here as well. I wondered if we would stumble across Burl and Will somewhere in the quarry, if they too had come here to attack Verity. Colder was my suspicion that it was more likely we would find Verity's body, but I said nothing to Ketrickin of these thoughts. I think the wolf and I sensed it at the same time. There's something alive back there, I said quietly, deeper in the quarry. What is it? the fool asked me. I don't know. A shivering ran all over me. My wit sense of whatever was back there ebbed and flowed. The more I tried for a feel of what it was, the more it eluded me. Verity? Ketrickin asked. It broke my heart to see hope quicken once more in her eyes. No, I told her gently, I don't think so. It doesn't feel like a human. It's like nothing I've ever sensed before. I paused and added. I think you should all wait here while the wolf and I go to see what it is. Kettle disagrees and yes. says they, they decide that they should all go. Right. So there's this conundrum of where is Verity? Yes. There's a dead body. Obviously, this is a plan to attack Verity. Probably from 
the, I don't know, week or two ago now where the fool was attacked on accident. Mm -hmm. So, you know, what are we going to find? What's going on? And then this random sense of something alive, but it's not even human, which is so sad because as we know, as rereaders, this is Verity and he is kind of barely human when they find him, Mm -hmm. but he's just so sure it's not, it doesn't even feel like Verity anymore. We'll talk about it a little bit later, but Fitz does liken it to the bond of a man and a she bear, which is be black Rolf. Right. Or if somebody had sensed him, maybe Fitz and night eyes, someone who had been bonded to something so long that they kind of shared a life force between them. Right. And with Verity being bonded to his statue, his rock, yeah. it's probably unlike anything that Fitz has ever sensed before. Right. And I guess that would make sense as to why he would say that he, it's not really human like because right. he is probably mixing wit and skill together. Mm-hmm. So the way he senses it would be different. I feel like if Kettle was in her prime and could use the skill, she would know that it was a human. I don't think she well, would. If she had the wit as well, I guess. Because that's what oh, Fitz that's is true. using. The- He's using the wit to sense these life forces. He's keeping his skill walls tight. Yeah, so. I guess. Yeah, good point. I didn't think about it like that. So mm-hmm. never mind. <laughs> I only would have found it with Fitz. That's why he's the catalyst. <laughs> so Kettle says that Fitz cannot go. There's a good chance that this feeling that he senses back there is uh, the coterie waiting to attack. They're trying to lure him back there and that he it's dangerous. All of these stones are skill stones and he doesn't do well with those. So he can't go alone. And then she submits that she should go alone with maybe Ketrican or Starling and That also won't work. So they all decide finally that the five of them will go together and they're going to they're going to fan out and just Mm -hmm. try to keep out of sight of whatever it is. Yeah, Because Fitz can also not pinpoint exactly where that is coming from. Right. So they just have to go in the general direction. And they walk through the quarry, the quarry floor and Fitz describes what he sees. It's a lot of, he describes it like a nursery floor with some immense child's blocks and toys scattered across it. We passed one partially carved block of stone. It had none of the the finesse of the carvings we had seen in the stone garden. It was lumpish and crude and somehow obscene. It reminded me of the fetus of a miscarried foal. It repulsed me, and I slipped past it as swiftly as I could to my next vantage point. So I wonder if his reaction to this is because of his wit sense where he can tell it's alive and that with a failed project like this, it would feel wrong to the senses. Yeah, I think a lot of the unease that both Kettle and him feel because Kettle also looks at Girl and a Dragon later and kind of like is crying right. at it is is kind of the knowledge deep down Fitz doesn't have the full knowledge of what it is, but he can sense it with the wit and Kettle knows it through her knowledge of like, these are failed attempts. These are people who did not complete their tasks, but are gone nonetheless. Right. Which really is interesting because it poses the idea that 
even if you put all of yourself into a dragon, if it is not, or whatever you decide to carve, if it is not enough to finish this being, you just have to suffer forever. Yeah. In this half finished thing. It makes me wonder if they're more awake, if that makes sense, than like the stone dragons we see resting. I think so, because the stone dragons we see resting were awake and then they went to like hibernation, basically. Right. They were they're not aware of anything because they purposely chose to like sleep. These ones are were in the process of waking up. So the half like the the lump of what he sees probably isn't that aware because obviously there was nowhere near enough. But like girl on the dragon, I feel has an extreme awareness for what's around. Right. So it probably just depends on the the level of completion and how focused the task and the people doing the task were because girl on the dragon was they had enough to finish basically from what i understand they had enough like strength and willpower to finish it's just one person wanted to be held apart from everything and be like the leader right instead of working together yeah it, i think it does pose another question of like how does the skill work because the finnish dragons don't seem to be in agony right (laughs) so like why are these like would they fade in time does it eventually just become a subtle discomfort it remembers the discomfort of not making it is that why like what what is up with these weird half-finished statues i don't know but we should get into more descriptions of as they keep going Mm -hmm. they're moving from cover to cover all of them trying to keep out of sight a little bit and continuing on through and Fitz remarks that he had thought he could see nothing more disturbing than that previous crude stone carving, but the next one we passed wrenched at me. Someone had carved, in heartbreaking detail, a mired dragon. The thing's wings were half-spread, and its half-lidded eyes were rolled up in agony. A human rider, a young woman, bestrode it. She clutched the undulant neck and leaned her cheek against it, Her face was a mask of agony, her mouth open and the lines of her face taut, the muscles of her throat standing out like cords. Both the girl and the dragon had been worked in detailed colors and lines. I could see the woman's eyelashes, the individual hairs on her golden head, the fine green scales about the dragon's eyes, even the droplets of saliva that clung to the dragon's writhing lips. But where the dragon's mighty feet and lashing tail should have been, there was only puddled black stone, as if the two had landed in a tar pit and been unable to escape it. Just as a statue, it was wrenching. I saw Kettle turn her face aside from it, tears starting in her eyes. But what unnerved night eyes in me was the writhing sense of wit sense that it gave off. It was fainter than what we had sensed in the statues back in the garden, but all the more poignant for that. It was like the final death throes of a trapped creature. Which is a crazy description of it and really gives off a creepy vibe. Yes. Yeah, it's really horrifying that, number one, Verity walked past all of these two. Mm Mm-hmm. And 
had to have seen the consequence of him not being able to make it and then decided, yep, I'm going to do it on my own anyway, because the kingdom needs me to. Mm-hmm. And number two, that that Fitz can sense the living being beings, plural, I suppose, still somewhere trapped inside that hunk of stone that isn't finished. Yeah. And it's fainter than the ones in the stone dragons that they met before in that garden. However, it is writhing, he says. Yes. So it's just not, it's like struggling and it just makes the statue more realistic to him. Right. Also a little bit wild that with the ability to carve these skill stones comes the ability to add details like eyelashes and fine hair. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I have always curious about how things work. The like semantics of what is giving them the possibility, but this really does feel like magic. I guess skill is (laughs) magic, but like, I don't know in a more tangible sense. Fitz is posing a question to Night Eyes, like, maybe this is what we sense. Maybe there is no, nothing else here besides this faint wit sense. But Night Eyes says that he smells something. Fitz clears his nostrils and using the enhanced senses that he gets from his bond also kind of smells sweat and a faint tang of blood. And both refresh. So they slink around one block of stone the size of two huts, peer around that corner, cautiously creep forward, the fool rounds the other side, and no one is speaking because they see something else. It was another dragon, this one the size of a ship. It was all black stone, and it sprawled sleeping upon the block of stone it was emerging from. Chips and chunks and grindings of rock dust surrounded the ground around the block. Even from a distance, it impressed me. Despite its sleep, every line of the creature spoke of both strength and nobility. The wings folded alongside it were like furled sails, while the arch of the powerful neck put me in mind of a battle charger. I had looked at it for some moments before I saw the small gray figure that sprawled alongside it. I stared at him and tried to decide if the flickering life I sensed came from him or the stone dragon. So. Size of a small ship. Yeah. And no, not a small ship. The size of a ship. (laughs) Right. I was thinking about this description and how it's so poetically ship-like and also noble and strong. And also uh, the neck reminiscent of a charger, a horse. Yeah. And I was thinking of how. This is something created by just Verity. Mm -hmm. I wonder how much of those things that Fitz is feeling this looks like, the way he's describing it, the place in his mind where he's getting the descriptors, if this comes from some weird skill connection with Verity, that like he can sense the parts of Verity that are those things that went into the shaping. Possibly. Or if this is just like, coincidentally (laughs) perfect for how to describe Verity's essence. Or Robin Hobb used those images to evoke, like... To hint at, like, this is Verity. Yes. Yeah. This is what Verity would create, you know? Yes. His pride and joy in the ships that he created for the defense of the Six Duchies coast and 
his horse, which he loved. Yeah. I'm surprised there wasn't a dog. Right. It reminded me of an old hunting bloodhound, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I don't know. I like to think that the such specific aspects are like in some way subconsciously derived from the way Fitz can sense the skill whether or not that's because he has a personal connection to Verity or just because the skill itself is radiating those vibes. Right. I don't know. Yeah, definitely possible. But he does see someone, Mm -hmm. a gray man, and he can't tell where the life force is coming from, which we know it's both. Also, it goes to show that the life force that Fitz is feeling has to have its own specific signature, meaning that, like, if he had known any of the people who made the other statues, there's a good chance he would have felt like they were there, right? Mm-hmm. I guess no, because he doesn't think this is Verity. He can't tell this is Verity. Right. So, never mind. I just, like, got really excited at the idea that, like... <laughs> there's signatures. Yeah. Only Night Eyes and him are approaching. And when he was within arm's reach of the figure... The figure rises jerkily and faces him. He was old and thin, gray of both hair and beard. His ragged garments were gray with stone dust, and a smear of gray coated one of his cheeks. The knees that showed through the legs of his trousers were scabbed and bloody from kneeling on a broken stone. His feet were wrapped in rags. He gripped a much-notched sword in a gray gauntleted hand, but he did not bring it up to the ready. I felt it taxed his strength to hold the blade at all. Some instinct made me lift my arms wide of my body to show him I held no weapon. He looked at me dully for a bit, then he slowly lifted his eyes to my face. For a time, we stared at one another. His peering, near-blind gaze reminded me of Harper Josh. Then his mouth gapped wide in his beard, bearing surprisingly white teeth. Fitz? He said hesitantly. Unrealistic. There's no way he would have white teeth if he wasn't brushing. (laughs) (laughs) Well, he's not eating either. (laughs) I guess. But still, your saliva. I don't know. Whatever. It doesn't matter. (laughs) I knew his voice, despite the rust. He had to be Verity. But all I was cried out aghast that he could have come to this, this wreckage of a man. Behind me, I heard the swift crunching of footsteps and turned in time to see Ketrickin charging up the ramp of crumbling stone. Hope and dismay battled in her face, yet, Verity, she cried, and there was only love in the word. She charged, arms reaching for him, and I was barely able to catch her as she hurled past me. No, I cried aloud to her. No, don't touch him. Fitz prevents her from reaching towards her, towards Verity and has to explain. Don't touch him he has magic on his arms i don't know what that would do to you if you got touched by him right it also mentions that when he has grabbed her from running she is struggling against him she is begging to let him let go so she can get to verity she Mm -hmm. does not understand and it is heartbreaking like we've spent this whole book knowing well not the whole book but a lot of this book knowing the struggles that Ketrickin has had to go through. And here she is finally seeing her husband that she has loved and missed and waited for and upended her whole life over. 
and she's being held back by someone she trusts a lot, Fitz. And all she wants to do is run to her husband who she loves and she can't. Mm-hmm. Uh, it makes me so sad. <laughs> Trying really hard not to cry. <laughs> and at that whole scene, once Fitz says like, no, calmly and she kind of stops struggling she turns and looks at verity and he's just standing there watching them a kindly rather confused smile on his face he tilted his head to one side as if considering us then stooped carefully to set down his sword ketrickin saw then what i had glimpsed before the betraying shimmer of silver crawled over his forearms and fingers he wore no gauntlets the thing is though in this description that just because she can see the silver on him doesn't mean mm-hmm. that she knows what it is. And right. I obviously Fitz has said he has magic on him and she can see that and like piece together it's magic. But I think that Fitz's narrative in his perspective of like, now she gets it. I don't think she gets it. I think she just sees that there's something on him. Yeah. I mean, obviously she gets it to some capacity because she stops struggling and she doesn't go towards him. But I wonder if more of what stopped her is that he isn't excited to see her. Like, I don't know that it has anything to do with the fact that he, she realizes he's covered in this silver stuff. Right. And he doesn't recognize her really. Those memories have gone into the dragon. Yes. And she has to ask my lord husband, do you not know me? And he doesn't really, but he does make a comment that he was given Ketrickin as a wife, a wild little mountain cat, yellow haired, just a slip of a girl. It's all that he could recall. And then a faint smile eased his face. That night I unbound golden hair like a flowing stream finer than silk, so fine I durst not touch it, lest it snag in my calloused hands. And, oh, then we see that Ketrickin touches her hair reflexively, and Fitz makes a comment that her hair right now is, like, shoulder length. She has cut it in mourning for her husband and her child. Yeah, a long time ago, and it's It's barely starting to grow. And that it's not the lustrous golden hair that he would have remembered because it has been ruined with months of weathering from rain and dust and Mm -hmm. heat. This isn't the carefully taking care of princess hair anymore. But she does take it out of her braid and shakes it loose around her face. Maybe to remind him a little bit more. Right. While this conversation is happening in the background, Kettle finally had caught up and sees Verity and kind of collapses down. And we learn later that it's basically just shock at seeing arms covered in silver. But I think that was important to note just how like amazed she is at right. what is happening here. Yeah. She cannot believe it. Cause she knows what it is. Like she understands, mm-hmm. which I don't think anybody, even Fitz doesn't quite understand <laughs> the magnitude of the actions. Oh, I, Fitz doesn't understand to the end really. Right. And so as Kettle, Ketrickin is before her husband, she asks my Lord, can I touch you? 
he considers the request and looks at his silvered fingers and says, I think not, I'm afraid. No, no, it would better, it were better not. He spoke regretfully, but I had the sense that it was only that he must refuse her request, not that he regretted being made unable to touch her. Yeah, so it's it's just like that confused, like, oh, I, I suppose it's not a good idea, so I, I regret to say no. But I don't know. Like. But it's not the reaction you'd expect a loving yeah. husband to have to turn down his wife would act or say. And so. Ketrikin just has to stand there and what she thinks is confessing her sins, basically yes. bearing the, the terrible news to Verity and saying that I lost our child. I did not understand until then what a burden it had been for her. Seeking for her husband, knowing she must tell him this news. She dropped her proud head as if expecting his wrath. What she got was worse. Oh, he said. Then, had we a son? I do not recall. I think that was what broke her. To discover that her earth-shaking tidings did not anger nor sorrow him, but only confused him. She had to feel betrayed. Fitz goes on to explain that the desperate flight from Buckkeep to protect her unborn child, the long, lonely months of her pregnancy culminating in that stillbirth, the dread that she must tell Verity, finding out Verity was dead, going through this whole journey, finally getting here. And he fumbled to recall her, and of the dead child said only, Oh. I felt shamed for the stoddering old man who peered at the queen and smiled so wearily. Ketrikin did not scream or weep. She simply turned and walked slowly away. I sensed great control in that passage and great anger. Starling makes a move to follow her as she leaves, and she waves her hand forbidding it. Yeah, Ketrikin does. Ketrikin does. And so she leaves alone, and the wolf goes with. Asks, go with her? And Fitz replies, please, but do not bother her. And I says, I am not stupid. Yeah. And he, Nighthaze goes straight up to her and puts his head on her leg and is trying to comfort her. And uh, she drops down to one knee and hugs him close. Yes. This is so sad <laughs> and it's also chides fits to say go away so not sharing that moment and right it's private between the two of them which mm-hmm. i respect that night eyes is like look <laughs> this Fitz, is not for Fitz you had to teach him but it, yes <laughs> but night eyes knows <laughs> yeah night eyes knows it's good but oh it's like heartbreak on top of heartbreak and it's mm-hmm. so well done I'm like over here trying not to sob. <laughs> and and we really do. Robin Hobb does a great, fantastic job. And we really do feel like spectators, like Fitz looking in on this tragedy. Because, yes, he details all of these things and says, oh, I feel great anger. I, she must feel shamed. But it really does, at least to me, feel like we're a voyeur to this horrible th- situation right. happening in front of us. And it's all like kind of played out. But it's like, this is horrifying. And there's no guilt associated either way, 
but we're just viewing this. Right. And I think it's a really interesting juxtaposition because you know, as a first time reader, the last time you've seen Verity or at least heard from Verity, he seemed pretty cognizant. I mean, mm-hmm. maybe a little off, but not enough to make you think this was who was on the other end of that skill voice. Right. He has so far seemed very put together. And now he's here in the flesh and he's very much like a doddering old man. It's like Fitz said, it's it's like he's so confused and it kind of makes me think of shrewd in the end of the days where he was clouded by the drugs and didn't really know what was going on and kept kind of nodding along and being mm-hmm. like, oh, yes, of course. And then in rare instances, he would be lucid. Right. And so I think it's just such a heartbreaking moment because this is the first time you realize how bad things have gotten for Verity. And partially this is because most of his life force is in this dragon that he's making. Or memories in general. Yeah. Yeah. So I really just think it's all the more heartbreaking that we come across this version of Verity. And again, it's not his fault, but it is very sad. And especially with his wife there. Right. Yeah. We see later on that he's kind of roused a little bit back to lucidity or remembers a little bit more. And he kind of mentions that. You know, it's hard to remember that I even had a son sometimes. So I grieve when I remember, but we just catch him off guard here. He's he's not in that moment. Right. Also, I think a good thing like coming up, we'll talk more about. But it seems like his love for her was so strong that he had to put it in there first so that it didn't stop him from continuing. Right. Which is so beautiful and i mean like in some ways i guess it's also very heartbreaking and a little sad and it's also not understandable to those that are loved by him right because why would you give up your memory Mm -hmm. of me of somebody that you love i would never do that to you and right but he i think the way that molly has described fitz as being someone who doesn't take his own interest to heart and will always put the interest of the crown above her. I think that Verity is the same way. Yeah. And so while Ketrikin is walking away, Verity addresses Fitz. He says that he's so weary and that there's still so much to do. He kind of sinks down and says, I tried so hard. And the fool takes takes control of the situation and starts to say, My king, it is I, the fool. May I be of service to you? I would be honored, Verity said after a moment. His head swayed on his neck. To accept the fealty and service of one who served both my father and my queen so well. For an instant I glimpsed something of the old Verity. Then the certainty flickered out of his face again. The fool just says, I will take care of you as I did your father. And then starts to direct people around to get... Know, fresh water, get the camp set up. He directs Starling around and seems in control or at least has a purpose. Right. Rather than the trudging description that we got before from Fitz. Right. This is almost 
the first time in a while we have seen the fool, the court fool Mm -hmm. emerge, except there's still the loss of that joking edge to him. He's more of a courtesan. I, this feels very, no, that's not the word I wanted to use. Nope. (laughs) She's like court person. Courtesan is like a date thing, right? Yeah. Okay. Like a, an escort. (laughs) Oh (laughs) no, I meant like a courtly man. (laughs) Oops. Anyway, I think this is the first glimpse of something close to Lord Golden we also get. Mm, something about the like that. taking control and being I don't know. I, I viewed it more as the fool that we saw with Shrewd in private when he was in his element trying to take care of Shrewd more so. True. And there he had to contend with Wallace, so he wasn't able really to give directions or anything like that. But I feel like he wanted to like, right. direct people around like, this is what's best for him. I know. Do that. So I, I feel like this is the full kind of trying to make amends for his past a little bit. Obviously, he's not at fault for any of that. But right. Just, you know, let's make Verity comfortable. Let's set up camp. Let's do all these things. I have a job now. Yeah. It also is kind of interesting because the fool was so adamant that Verity is not his king and that he wouldn't serve him, that this is Fitz's king. At least that's how he's been the whole leading up to this point in the book, whenever he's talked about Verity, I guess not recently because he hasn't recently really been talking about Verity in that light. But now we see that Verity is someone in need and he's this pitiful version of what he once was. And the fool is going to take care of him. And I wonder if the fool knows what's coming in some way or like knows that the end of the line is near for him at the very least. And so possibly the best he can do is to help him. Yeah, I don't think he actually knows what's coming, but the end of the line thing kind of probably resonates with him a little bit more so. Just like a vague understanding of this is where Verity maybe ends. Right. Also, I wonder if he's reminded of Shrewd here. Like I said before, this is very reminiscent of Shrewd in the Mm -hmm. throes of the drug haze. And I'm sure they look somewhat similar. (laughs) I think Verity is described as... no. Chivalry is described as looking more like his mother than his father. I think so. I don't remember. So, and I don't they all think... have very strong farseer genes, yes. though. So all of them do look like shrewd to some extent. Interesting. I don't know. So maybe part of it is a little bit of like reminiscent of shrewd. And then part of it is just seeing someone in need. Because mm-hmm. I think I don't think we get very many glimpses of the fool being caring. I know that he is, and we know, and Fitz seems to know <laughs> that the cool the fool does have a caring side to him, right? But I don't think there's very many op- opportunities to see the fool in his element with someone something. besides Fitz, right. right? But yes, yeah, yeah, I, I agree. Fool also takes a moment here to ask how Kettle is doing because she is still on the ground. And Kettle says that she is fine. She's just not ready to get up yet. And that Starling is free to leave her side and Mm -hmm. go do what is necessary. She was just shocked to her core. Yes. And so he directs people around. They get up to disperse and do to their separate chores. Kettle follows as well slowly, but she does. And that leaves Fitz alone with Verity. Right. Which fool has commanded Fitz to see to the king. Mm-hmm. 
Fitz realizes that there's an instant of peace, knowing that the come to me repeated is stopped because he completed his quest to yes. go to Verity. And he just says, well, I am here, my king. And Verity made no reply because he was busy carving his dragon. Fitz asks what he's doing, and Verity doesn't even glance up and says, carving a dragon. And several <laughs> hours later, he still toiled at the same task. The monotonous scrape, scrape, scrape of the blade against the stone set my teeth on edge and shredded every nerve in my body. I had remained on the dais with him. Fitz remarks that people had set up the camp and that Ketrakin had rejoined them briefly, but only to get her bow and quiver to go hunting with night eyes. Fitz is basically just sitting there, sitting with Verity, and he's questing towards him a little bit with his wit sense. And this is where uh, what I had talked about previously comes into play. He says, the fluttering wit sense I had of him, but could not understand it. It was as if life and awareness fluctuated between his body and the great statue of the dragon. I recalled the last time I had encountered such a thing. It had been between the witman and his bear. They had shared the same flowing of life. I suspected that if anyone had quested toward the wolf in me, they would discover the same sort of pattern. We had shared minds for so long that in some ways we were one creature. But that did not explain to me how Verity could have bonded with a statue, nor why he persisted in scraping at it with his sword. I longed to grab hold of the sword and snatch it up from his grasp, but I refrained. In truth, he seemed so obsessed with what he did that I almost feared to interrupt him. So first I want to make mention that Fitz has tried first to reach out with the skill and has found that Verity has his walls too high and tight, that there is no skill sense emanating from him. Yes. So that's why he's reverted to checking with the wit. And it's really frustrating as a rereader to see how close he is to what is going on and not realizing it. Mm -hmm. And that like the reason that there is this bond, so to speak, between Verity and the rock is because he is giving his mind and soul to this piece of rock. And it's a little bit different than how wit partners seem to do. Although maybe a little bit of soul is left in your wit partner and that's how their voice stays on after death. Yeah. But at least for, Night Eyes, we suspect. Right. they were a little bit closer than others. Right. Well, I think Night Eyes is a little bit more of his soul right. <laughs> than others would. <laughs> but I think it's fair to say that, like, part of souls of wit beasts live on. And I, I don't know. I just find it really interesting that Fitz is so close and yet so far from grasping. <laughs> it's just a little over his head. It is a, a wild thing to grasp, though. True. So I don't blame him for that. Fitz remarks that earlier he had tried asking Verity some questions, but the responses that he got, if he did get one at all, were pretty nonsensical. He asked what had become of those who left with him, and Verity had shaken his head slowly. They harried us as a flock of crows will haunt an eagle, coming close, squawking and pecking, and fleeing when we turn to attack them. Crows? I had asked him, blankly. He shook his head at my stupidity. Hired soldiers. They shot at us from cover. They came at us at night, sometimes. 
and some of my men were baffled by the coterie's skill. I could not shield the minds of those who were susceptible. Night fears they sent to stalk them, and suspicion of one another. So I bid them go back. I pressed my own skill command into their minds to save them from any other. It was almost the only question he had truly answered. Of the others I asked, he did not choose to answer many, and the answers he did give were either inappropriate or evasive. Or evasive. So I gave it up. Instead, I found myself reporting to him. It was a long accounting, for I began with the day I had watched him ride away. So long story, and right. Fitz has to tell, tell it to Verity once again. And he says that he does this to, almost in a selfish way, to get Verity to realize how big of a deal it is that they're here, mm-hmm. and realize how silly it is that he's carving the stra- spending time carving a statue while people are dying mm-hmm. and trying to get him to get some sense knocked back into his head so that he can come back and lead. And also give him context to frame the questions and why they were there to let him know what was happening. And also, you know, if even if he had heard them before, just jog his memory and maybe center himself, center Verity a little bit more in the now Right. Because Verity is struggling. He's not making any sense to Fitz. It's verging on full dark when Kettle comes up and delivers some tea to both Verity and Fitz Chivalry. She then, in a gentle voice, asks, What are you doing? The scraping stopped abruptly. He turned to stare at her, then glanced at me to see as if I, too, had heard her ridiculous question. <laughs> the querying look I wore seemed to amaze him. He cleared his throat. I am carving a dragon. With your sword blade? she asked. In her tone was curiosity, no more. Only the rough parts, he told her. For the finer work, I use my knife. And then, for finest of all, my fingers and nails. He turned his head slowly, surveying the immense statue. I would like to say it is nearly done, he said falteringly, but how can I say that when there is still so much to do? So very much to do. And I fear it will all be too late, if it is not already too late. Too late for what? I asked him, my voice as gentle as Kettle's had been. Why, to save the folk, too late to save the folk of the six duchies. He peered at me as if I were simple. Why else would I be doing it? Why else would I leave my land and my queen to come here? I tried to grasp what he had been telling me, but one overwhelming question popped out of my mouth. You believe you carved this whole dragon? Verity considered. No, of course not. But just as I felt relief that he was not completely mad, he added, It isn't finished yet. He looked again over his dragon with the fondly proud look he had once reserved for his best maps. But even this much has taken me a long time. A very long time. Fitz is kind of astounded that Verdi could even think that he had carved all of this dragon, but he has, we know that. Right. Taken on this Herculean task by himself and has gotten very close. Right. It seems as though the only thing left is really the feet of the dragon, from what I'm understanding, the description-wise, which is so much... This is a dragon... This dragon is the size of a ship. Yeah. It's like one shipwright building a whole ship. Yeah. (laughs) And he's like the feet away from being done. And he's like, I don't know if it'll be 
Oh, it'll happen in time. And it's like, you're going so fast. And so it does make sense that Fitz doesn't believe him because how could one person even, I think it's only been like a year since he left. So that's, I think a little bit more, but that's since he left, not even like how I've, long he's been there. We don't right. know how long he's been in the quarry. I think he personally, I think he's been in the quarry probably almost a year because he was in the, he got to the, he was in the skill road and I think in the quarry when Fitz was attacking Regal or right before that. I don't know. Cause there was a dream that he had of scraping at stone. Yeah. But that wasn't a year ago. You don't think so? No, I don't. I mean, it's spring now. Or no, 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 no. It's fall now, and that was in spring. They were in winter, though, in Jean-Pay. Moon's Eye was winter, and then they went to Jean-Pay, and it was snowing, and... Oh, that's right. It's a lot of so passage maybe, of time. So maybe I have that backwards. It's not clearly marked very no. well in her books, so... But I think... No, I think I had it backward, because it... So he starts at this book. It's the beginning of summer. End of spring, beginning of summer. I don't remember, to be honest. It's been so long. It's cold when he's being dug out of the ground. Right. So it's spring. He goes through summer. At the end of summer, he starts going towards Regal to kill him. It's now fall. He flees Regal to the mountains. It's winter. From the mountains, he goes to Verity. It's spring. You think it's spring again right now? Yes. So I had it backwards. Fall is regal, spring is Verity, and I, like, so this is, like, a year since he died, almost. Okay. And he, Verity had only left, like, maybe a month before the the events of Fitz's death, right? Maybe two or three, but I, I don't think Verity has been here for more than six months. Maybe, yeah. But you're right that when he was with Verity, there's the, I don't know, the scraping. Mm-hmm. I don't know. But yeah, I don't think it's been very long. But that's, I mean, what I'm trying to get at is that's a very short amount of time to have made this behemoth. <laughs> and he does it. And he does it all by himself. It's crazy. No wonder Kettle fell backwards and was like, shocked which i guess was more so because he was actually covered in silver but still <laughs> i don't know crazy kettle kind of pushes on like hey what why don't you drink your tea while it's still hot and that conversation sparks up a memory of his mother giving them nettle tea as kids as like a tonic Right, because he doesn't want this to be elf bark, and Kettle assures him that it is not. It is just nettle tea. And a bit of mint, yes. He says, it's warm. It has been so long since I had time to eat anything warm. How long? Kettle asked him conversationally. A long time, Verity said. He took another sip of the tea. There are fish in a stream outside the quarry but it's hard enough to take time to catch them, let alone cook them. Actually, I forget. I have put so many things into the dragon. Perhaps that was one of them. And how long since you slept? Kettle pressed him. 
I cannot both work and sleep, he pointed out to her, and the work must be done. And the work shall be done, she promised him, but tonight you will sleep, you will pause just for a bit to eat and drink, and then to sleep. See, look down there. Sterling has made you a bed, a tent, and within it will be warm, soft bedding, and warmed water to wash yourself, and such fresh clothing as we can manage. He looked down at his silvered hands. I do not know if I can wash myself, he confided to her. Then Fitzchivalry and the fool will help you, she promised him blithely. Thank you, that would be good. But his eyes went afar for, so for a time. Ketcherkin, was not she here a while ago? Or did I dream her? So much of her was what was strongest, so I put it into the dragon. I think that is what I have missed the most of all I have put there. He paused and then added, at the times when I can recall what I miss. Which is very sad, but uh, a testament to the feelings that he did have for her, and something that Ketrikin probably will never understand. Right. Because I'm sure Fitz doesn't really understand what that means at this right. point. I think as a reader, it's a little bit easier to understand because we have Fitz's limited knowledge of the skill and kind of how that works and what the toll is. And Ketrikan has none of that background knowledge. She has the bits and pieces that Fitz has kind of given to her, but she doesn't have the several books worth of knowledge that we all do. <laughs> right. So it's pretty fair to say that she probably will resent him for this and will not understand mm -hmm. why. And that's also a really sad thing to know is that this is just something that she doesn't get to know. <laughs> I guess maybe later in life when her own son is being trained in the skill, maybe she learns more about it then. Right. But, ugh, I don't know. It's really sad. And it's even more sad because this final moment of, some sort of recognition of feelings for Ketrikin and she's not even there to see it or understand it, I guess. I don't know. It's just so hard. They do have talks, though. I mean, this is yes. just his first realization that he right. has forgotten or put away memories of his love for her. Right. And sometimes he remembers what he lost or right. has used up already. And so Fitz assures him that Ketchikan is there, she's just gone hunting, and wouldn't it be nice if you were freshly washed and clothed for her later? And Verity says, That one sees past such things, he told me, a shade of pride in his voice. Still, it would be nice, but there is so much work to do. And I thought that little line there was a great representation of their relationship, to be honest. Just Verity acknowledging, yeah, she's not surface level, like thinks I need to look attractive and be washed and clothed. She understands hardship and sacrifices and right. she looks past those things. Right. But it, he's at the same time, he's like, but it would be nice. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I think it. Yeah, I think you're right. I think it shows their relationship and where they were able to find common ground. Mm -hmm. And I don't know. I think it's kind of cute that they had this little loving relationship. Yeah. However brief. And so Kettle 
says it is too dark now to continue work. Wait until tomorrow. It will get done. Tomorrow I will help you. Verity shook his head slowly. He sipped more of the tea. No, he said quietly. I am afraid you cannot. I must do it myself, you see. And she says, tomorrow you will see. I think if you have strength enough by then, then it may be possible for me to help you. But we shall not worry about it until then. So to me, right, that conversation right there, already in her mind, she's like, okay, this is my end then. This is my right. goal. Seeing him lathed with, with the skill on his arms and everything and seeing how close he is and the conversation she has with Fitz later, it's like, okay, he's going to need help. I didn't expect to come back from this journey anyways, and this is it. This is my purpose. So I think she makes that decision in seeing him. And this is the first hint that we get, even though first time through, I totally skipped over this conversation in terms of meaning. <laughs> Interesting. No, I think, I think her decision happened when she walked away before this, before she came back with the tea. I think that was her time to mull over. Is this yeah. what I should do? And I don't know. It's, it's a big task and she's willing to do it. And I wonder if the selflessness of the act that Verity is doing is what wins her over. Yeah, and possibly. also seeing, you know, the man who everybody's been talking about as being amazing and powerful. And she's like, yeah, whatever. I've seen skill users before. And then she meets him and she's like, oh my gosh, it's true. Everything they've been saying wasn't misunderstood on their part. He really is crazy strong and like, I need to help so that he doesn't have to bear this burden alone. Yeah. She, I don't know if she ever fully explains her reasonings, maybe in a couple chapters when she actually makes the decision or jumps to it. But yeah, be be interesting to see how much of that echoes what you're thinking. Yeah. They get up, lead Verity over to camp. And as Fitz is following, he picks up Verity's sword and kind of eyes over what he's using as a tool here. Hod's pride, he calls it. He wonders what possessed Verity to take such a kingly weapon and turn it into rock-carving tool. The edges were turned and notched from the misuse, the tip no more than pointed than a spoon. The sword was much like the man, I reflected, and followed them down to camp. I know I'm stopping again very quickly here, but that paragraph really highlights what Fitz is feeling here. We're kind of focusing on what's actually happening, but Fitz's thoughts in this are very reflective through his descriptions. And at this point, he's like, this has all been for naught. He is a crazy person who has lost his mind. Right. My king has been reduced to nothing. We're not going to help the six duchies at all. Right. He's a shadow, a useless version of the tool that he once was for the mm -hmm. kingdom. So it's sad he gets uh, disabused of that notion later on. Right. But, but for now, that's his thoughts is like, this is kind of pointless, I guess. Which is... I think a little bit full circle almost. I don't know if that's the right way to use that, but we have in the beginning of this journey, Ketrikin not understanding the skill at all and not really thinking that Fitz is crazy for believing in Verity, that Verity is still alive. It doesn't make sense. She doesn't understand it at all. And she understands that he believes it, 
but she still thinks that he's a little crazy for thinking that he's alive. There's no way you could know that. How do you know that he, the way he feels for me? It's this like sense of something that you don't understand that you just think that the other person who does understand is crazy. And here we have Fitz presented with obviously two people, (laughs) Kettle included, who have this vast knowledge that he is not understanding and he's like, you're crazy. This isn't real. You don't understand what you're saying. Nothing. Well, he has not gotten any descriptions yet of it either. True. But True. yeah, I, it is like a reversal of the roles here. Yeah. I and I, the... I think Verity thinks he's telling Fitz what he needs to know. Oh, yeah. Because you get the uh, <laughs> in the descriptions like he looked at me like I was simple. He, right. like, yeah. he looked at me like, can you believe that Kettle's asking this question? Then he sees my questioning look and he's like, what? You both are crazy. I'm carving a dragon. Duh. Can you, do you have eyes? Like, <laughs> I'm wondering, did Verity know about skilled dragons then before getting here? Or did he just piece it together? I think he pieced it together. Interesting. Then why would he think Fitz would know what this is? Because he's lost his mind. <laughs> he doesn't have context for things right now. That's fair. It just feels like all of his answers are were muddled before. He's a little bit more centered right now. The T strengthened him, Fitz notices. And, right. You know, his assumptions are Fitz is going to know because why wouldn't he? Right. That's all Verity has been driving for for the past half a year or whatever is chipping away this. Why wouldn't he know? Because that's all that Verity knows. Right. That's fair. That's <laughs> fair. They go to camp here and... The fool ushers Fitz and Kettle out of the tent, says, I've cared for a king before. I know what I'm doing. Kettle warns him not to touch any of the silver. And Fitz stays around just a little bit to overhear Verity talking of inconsequential things. And one of them is about Cherim, how he misses his his manservant and how Cherim died on the journey and that it was hard for Verity to watch him die like that, but he too has gone into the dragon. It was necessary, he says. Fitz feels awkward and walks away, but those little peeks into Verity kind of dispassionately saying these stories right. really feels alien to a first-time reader and to Fitz. Right. Because Cherim was such a big part and a close friend of Verity's. For the longest time, we knew them as working together all throughout the other two books. Mm-hmm. And then just kind of a throwaway. Oh, and he died slowly and painfully. It was necessary for him to go into the dragon, but he's gone in there now. Yeah. And it's just kind of like rambling about these things really drives home the fact that something has changed with Verity. Yeah. This is not the Verity that we, the reader, knew last. Yep. So he goes and sits around the fire and he notices that Ketrakin has returned before them and they are roasting something. So she was successful and Fitz strikes up a conversation, a simple conversation with her just to get talking, asks, how was the hunting? And it is a, a wood sow. Yes, it's a pretty large animal. Mm-hmm. And he remarks, dangerous prey. And she replies, it was what I needed to hunt, her voice still soft, and I understood her only too well. And then Nide starts bragging about how easy it was to hunt with Ketrikin and how she was Mm -hmm. the best 
hunting partner he's ever had. <laughs> and she scratches behind his ear. And so Fitz makes the comment that she's going to spoil him. He lets her know what, she, what Nidus has said. And Ketrickin returns the praise and says, you know, like he's an intelligent animal. He drove the prey right to me. And whenever my bow failed, I he was able to be brave and keep the sow at bay while I notched another arrow and was able to take her out. So clearly they love hanging out together. They're the best pals. <laughs> and I think if this were any other moment in time, Fitz would be like full to the brim with jealousy <laughs> at the fact that Nida has found someone new. <laughs> but at this point, he's just kind of grateful. I think. Yes. Yeah. That first of all, Ketrickin is taken care of, but also that Nidays was able to help in some way. Yeah. I think he was able to recognize that like this moment's bigger than <laughs> needing his whip partner to be loyal only to him. She asks in Ketrickin's own way, you know, because she can't ever have small talk, really. Right. She asks, what's wrong with him? And Fitz replies that he's known a great deal of privation. Perhaps enough to weaken his mind, which is what we were just talking about, that Fitz thinks that his king has been reduced to nothing based on the harsh conditions and lack of nourishment and stuff, and there's no going back. Right. Kettle is quick to cut in and say, no, that is not it at all. Though I will grant you that he is weary. Any man would be to do what he has done alone. And Fitz interrupts her saying, you cannot believe he has carved that whole dragon himself. And Kettle says, I do. With certainty. Yeah. It is as I told you, he must do it himself. And so he has done it. She shook her head slowly. Never have I ever heard such a thing. Even King Wisdom had the help of his coterie, or what was left of it, when he reached here. Which I thought was a, a fun little throwaway line, because she knew the history of King Wisdom, and still has not added that to the annals of Buckkeep, or Six Duchies, or told any of them. <laughs> right. I, I think this is, like, one of my least favorite things about Kettle, is that no matter what, she's not giving up information unless she wants to. Yeah. And for whatever reason, she doesn't want to right now. Even though she sees that nobody understands what's going on but her. And it would be really beneficial for her group to understand what's happening. And yet she still lets them be on their own. And sometimes as I'm reading this, I try to remember like, well, maybe she's looking at it from a point of view of like a teacher and she wants Fitz to figure it out on his own. But at the same time, there's not enough for Fitz to figure it out on his own. She uh, she should know that Fitz has been not well trained and has not enough context clues right. to do it on his own. And I, I hate that she refuses to say anything. And the worst part is, like, that is her most frustrating characteristic, but that is, like, her major characteristic. Yeah, that's, like, basically so. all of who she is. Yeah. And, like, it's fun and cute sometimes, but, like, in this instance... Clearly, I mean, even if she can't read the feelings of other like Fitz's, so she doesn't see what we see where Fitz is really struggling because he feels like his uncle has gone crazy. Like there's a screw loose and Fitz is concerned. Obviously, she doesn't know all the thoughts going on in Fitz's head. But here she is hearing him talk about it. And instead of being like, oh, you thought he's going crazy. No, 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 no. Everything's fine. 
no, she's just like, well, nope, it's not what you think it is. And <laughs> no explanation. No, like, I, I don't know. It's just so frustrating. Like, yeah, just tell us answers, please. <laughs> <laughs> Fitz, of course, doesn't understand and says, well, there's no way that he carved that statue with a sword. And she gets up, stalks off and comes back with a chisel or at least it had been a chisel once, and a uh, ancient iron mallet. And the chisel is ground down to basically nothing on its blade, and its head is beaten in and to a lump, basically, by the mallet. Right. And she says, there are more like this around. He has been here enough to grind multiple chisels to nothing, carving this. And Fitz just has to go, I don't understand. Because why Why would his king take this much time to carve this dragon? And Kettle spoke clearly as if Fitz were slow. He has been carving a dragon and storing all his memories in it. That is part of why he seems so vague. But there is more. I believe he used the skill to kill Carid and has taken grievous hurt in doing so. She shook her head sadly. To have come so close to finishing, and then to be defeated. I wonder how sly Regal's coterie is. Did they send one against him, knowing that if Verity killed with the skill, he might defeat himself? I do not think any of that coterie would willingly sacrifice himself, Fitz says. And Kettle smiled bitterly. I did not say he was willingly sent. Nor did I say he knew what his fellows intended. It is like the game of stones, Fitz Chivalry. One plays each stone to best advantage in the game. The object is to win, not to hoard one's stones. Kettle gives a quick reminder there to Fitz that people aren't playing by the same rules that he is. Right. They're playing to win, not to save lives. They're using all the resources they can that are at their disposal. It's the same lesson that he's been told over and over by Shrewd, by the Fool, by literally everybody. Like, yeah, <laughs> not everybody's going to be playing the same game that you are. But it also, you know, according to Kettle, that is enough of an explanation for now. He's carving his dragons. He's storing his memories in there. He probably would have had enough strength, but they sent somebody near the end to deplete that strength and sacrifice one of their own coterie members to do it. Right. And I'm glad that she gives him a more solid answer. We were just ranting about how she doesn't <laughs> ever do that. But the fact that it took this much for her to do it still, it's, it's like not even like a full explanation no, either. It's bare minimum. It's like what she can get away with. <laughs> yeah, it's I mean, Fitz, after hearing that would still be like, OK, but why is he storing memories in a stone trick? <laughs> yeah. Like, what's like, going on? Why would you do that? Yeah, it's uh, I don't know. It's frustrating, but I do want to ask, do you think this was Regal's intention or is this a happy accident that he could potentially stop Verity from making a dragon? Um, I don't know. It's talked about later on that I think from the fool to Fitz that the fool got a little bit of an insight into Regal. And it's more so that Regal thinks that it's his birthright to whatever power lays beyond the mountains, which right. turns out to be the Elderlings. So I feel like it's to thwart 
what Verity is trying to do because he probably thinks that Verity's trying to gain a weapon for himself. Right. So I think any outcome works there. That's Stop fair. Verity and kill him eventually is probably like the main goal is to get rid of him, right? So stopping him for now is good enough. Either way, it works. Either Carid wins and overcomes him with the skill, or he uses enough power to slow him down or weaken him. So then do you think Regal understands what Verity is doing in some sense? Yes, uh, because not not exactly, but not the reasoning behind or whatever. Yes, because in that same conversation, the fool is the one to give Fitz the news that there were other skill scrolls and books. Right. That Galen had eventually puzzled out some of the meaning that there was something beyond there. And eventually when Galen died, and Regal spent time trying to puzzle those messages out. He was able to understand those messages after he Verity had agreed to go on the Elderling trip and after right. Verity had already left. So Regal finds out that, oh, the power of the Elderlings is beyond there. And that those old, old scrolls were confirmation that it was real. And he had already sent his brother off to get that power. So that's why he thinks that there's something beyond there. Right. So whatever task that Verity is doing on that same quest must be related is my thought process of how Regal would be thinking of this. Interesting. So maybe not the exact mechanics or anything, but like if he's doing this and doing something with the skill in this one place for this long, it's important. I need this. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. No, it is really sad. Do you think that everybody but Carrot knew that Carrot was going to go die? I think Carrot also knew. You think he knew? I think they could force him, though. I don't know if Carrot knew, but I feel like everybody else knew because there was that comment when Fitz was listening into the skill conversation where they're like, would you prefer Carrot's role? Right. And like he has the worst role. Mm -hmm. And so I feel like that hints at like they knew that he was going to have to die. <laughs> right. Or at least had a very real possibility of dying. Yeah. So maybe they made it seem like less of a possibility that he was going to die. <laughs> like, well, maybe you'll die, but probably you won't. And then they looked at each other and they were like, Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that wraps up that chapter, though. We finally meet Verity again. He's back, kind he's, of. He's back and Fitz is not happy. No, no, he is not. He is very sad. And so am I after having to read that heartbreaking scene with mm -hmm. Verity and Ketrigan. And there's more to come. It's the end of a Robin Hobb book. There I know. There is more to come. <laughs> it's going to be more me trying not to cry while talking about this book. Great. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for tuning in, listening along with us this week. If you have anything to uh, say to us about this chapter or any theories or anything else that you would like to mention to us, please let us know where it is fitshappy at gmail.com or you can message us directly on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter or comment on any of our posts on any of those about any questions you might have where it is fitshappy on all of those three. We have more links and different places you can listen to us and rate us and follow along and links to those socials on our website, isfitshappy.com. Thank you so much for tuning in.
Now we get to do everyone's favorite part, I assume. (laughs) (laughs) The the listener comments and our thoughts. Um, This time is going to be a little bit different because we had a lot of similar topics being discussed by different people. And so instead of normal where we go through each comment, I feel like it would be better to just kind of like say the topic and what each person brought in and then our response to that as a whole. Because I think like after reading all the comments, my opinions have been influenced. And so I can't answer one without having been like had that thought with being influenced by a different person's response. So that being said, we got some comments on Facebook and Instagram about how the skill works through the with elf bark. Yes. And uh, regarding our discussion of like dampening power or killing power entirely. Right. So first off, we have some comments on episode 97 when we had that conversation from Bastian on Facebook. And they have some interesting thoughts about how elf bark might have been used and how it relates to muscles and like uh, similarities between that and how they kind of liken it, uh, the skill to being a muscle being used and exercised versus just just neutral versus actively not being used. Right. And how a child's muscle, they don't have the fully developed body. So destroying that muscle would be a lot different than destroying the muscle of a teen or an adult where the body is more developed and can actually work the way it is meant to be that even diminishing the muscle in a fully developed body is not going to, have the same effect as if you were to hamper a child's ability to do something, which I thought was a really interesting way to look at it. Yeah. So diving a little bit more into the muscles themselves, it's more so like full on atrophy. If you are laying in bed, you know, for a long time, you're bedridden, your muscles will atrophy because you're not using them at all. If you're living your day to day life, your legs and your arms and stuff will probably stay about the same. And then if you're actively working out, they will grow similar to the skill, you know, actively growing as you're using it. If you are not trying to block the skill out, not trying to kill the skill off or not trying to use it, you still could be connected to things. It's just kind of passive. Right. It might stay the same. It might not have any effect. Or if you are actively blocking it out, actively not using it, actively killing it with elf bark then it will atrophy and disappear eventually. Right. And the other theory is from Amir on Instagram talking about how their theory is that we are a little bit correct in saying that Fitz is too old to have been fully affected. He doesn't take elf bark until he is 16. And it's not really a lot of it when he first starts. And it's only after Fitz uses the skill. It's not all the time. It's after the growth period for the skill. And then he uses the elf bark because of the, the aftercare for the headache. Right. So it is reasonable to say that when Fitz uses it, he is growing the skill. And then he is simply pushing back the growth he has just gained by drinking elf bark after. So... It leads into the 
more of the theory of why it wouldn't be completely gone with the use at such a young age because it's not really a young age. Yeah, I and think technically, I, I know Amir says 16. I think it's about 14 when he goes to the Mountain Kingdom and has that whole thing. I, th- I have a timeline somewhere. But I know like that's when we were discussing when he first starts getting the headaches in right. that conversation. So I think after he gets his head injury there, when he gets back to Buckheap, he starts taking Elf Bark more regularly. So I think after he turns 14 is what I remember from personally. Well, the headache isn't age 16. Amir is saying that 16 is when he takes Elf Bark for the first time. Mm, okay. Yes. So I think... I think that's correct. I don't know. I'd have to go back and look, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to trust Amir. (laughs) But also, Amir brings up that Fitz started skilling from age, like, six to eight. And that would be a prime time to kill a skill because it's so new and not fully developed. And... And he doesn't actually start to get trained or anything until he's, like, 12. So, or whatever age he is. Right. So they kind of miss that period of time. Right. And so I think it's a really interesting thought to think of it more like a muscle and to take into consideration that Fitz is older. Mm-hmm. When And when you think about how long he's been skilling for, it's actually quite a long time between when he started skilling and when he starts taking Elf Bark. And that potentially the Elf Bark has nothing to do with the way his skill is so wild because his skill is kind of wild without the alpha bark beforehand. Right. I think that's more just not having control. Mm -hmm. uh, Personally, I feel like his lack of control could also come from a place of fear. And I think, yeah, I think so too. Like anxiety especially can like cause you to not be able to do a thing that you performance anxiety. Yeah. Performance anxiety (laughs) in some way. I don't know. It just feels like, there's probably other blockers <laughs> preventing Fitz from being a very skilled skill user. Yeah, and there's also uh, conversations from both of them about uh, Chade. Yes. And Amir is talking about how Chade was, and, and this, is, this is true, Chade was older when he got brought to Buckkeep. Uh, he was about 10 or so. So if King Bounty wanted to kill off his skill, he also might have missed a little bit of that window to fully uh, destroy the skill within a young boy, a young bastard farseer. Right. That he didn't want to have skilling. So Che does retain a little bit of that ability later in life and is able to learn a little bit more. Right. Also, Amir deposits a really interesting theory of... Potentially, Chade was told that Elf Bark helps grow the skill because they were trying to kill Chade's skill. And they didn't want to tell him that. So they lied to him and told him, oh, yeah, it's super good for your skill growth. And that's why he gives it to people and why he believes that it will help skill users. Although I don't know that Chade specifically thinks it helps anything with the skill. I don't know if he knows it's connected at all. I think that's more of a misinformation, like a just misunfortunate. Oh my gosh, a misfortunate accident. But I do kind of like the theory that he was told at some point, oh no, this will help your skill because they're trying to kill it. I see. I think they wouldn't have told him anything about the skill, but 
would have fed him that anyways if that was their purpose like they they wouldn't have potentially misled him they would just tell him straight up as it is because he was so indoctrinated into the farseers like hey you don't get to learn the skill you're not an official farseer it's only for royals yeah uh drink this it'll help you with your studies you know like (laughs) (laughs) that's how i feel more so about it but like the same same thought and bastion has the same kind of thing that they probably fed him elf bark when he was young to inhibit his ability as well so similar lines from both uh bastion and amir with how how that works right and then we had some interesting thoughts on how the skill connection could possibly have worked with Fitz and Verity, even through the death or in spite yeah. of. <laughs> when when Fitz goes over to Night Eyes' body, yeah. Yes. And so Ellen on Facebook says that maybe this is just that because they're related or because they had a really strong bond that they don't no longer need to be touching, that the bond has grown strong enough to where Verity can just reach out and grab hold. Yeah. There's like a residual link between them because of they were in contact for so long. Right. And although I will say before we uh, add on to that, Ellen is skeptical about, whether it's an author error or not. Right. <laughs> Which is a good point. It could be. It very well could be. Um, but uh, Amir also had thoughts on this and had, had said that potentially this is because there wasn't actually touch needed. We know that in the tower, Fitz's walls are too high when he and Verity are first trying to create a bond where Verity can ride with Fitz. The reason he can't do it without touching him is because there are those high walls that Fitz mm-hmm. has put around himself and that potentially whenever he lost it, he felt Fitz again in the thing. And because he's so out of it, because he was an animal and he's coming back to human, he doesn't have his walls up tight enough. And so Verity's able to reestablish the bond without any touch at all. Right. Which is a little bit similar uh, reactions of like, maybe it's, Maybe Fitz really did die. Maybe he did die and it just was a thing where there wasn't touch needed anymore or in that moment. And I feel like I like the idea more that Verity was keeping him alive in some way. Yeah. But it makes less sense. So I, I don't know. You you can think what you want because it's I suppose. at this point, it's headcanon. Like there, there's no there's Wrong supporting answer. evidence for everything. Right. Right. Or there's none for all of yeah. those different ways, too. <laughs> there, there's but, there's nothing around there telling you it's not one or the, one true, or the other. True. So I feel like. I do think that it makes sense that when Fitz was coming back into his body, he had less walls, so it was easier for Verity to get back in there if he was not out. But so I I accept that as an answer Mm -hmm. and posit it to everyone to ponder. And yeah, so we got kind of two prevailing thoughts here or three author error (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Two that Verity stayed in the body and kind of kept it alive, whether purposely or not. Yeah, whether purposely or not, or just kind of like subconsciously in the background of his mind until Fitz regained or rejoined his body. Or three, 
they lost connection and were able to establish it in one of two ways. Either Fitz's walls were down or there was enough of a link being the having been connected for so long or a familial link or whatever that they were able to reestablish connection remotely. My only thing is, so Night Eyes makes a comment whenever Fitz goes too far away in the skill that Night Eyes can't feel him anymore. And I like to think of the the wit bond and skill links in a similar light where Fitz being fully in another being's body, I think, would be too far for his skill bond to reach. And I would think that if Fitz suddenly went off the map completely in Verity's mind, like all of a sudden Fitz just isn't there for several days that he would have made some comment about it and been like, hey, what was up with that? And maybe he tried whenever Fitz came back and obviously Fitz was going through some stuff and couldn't answer. So he just was like, all right, well, (laughs) I guess it just happened. I don't know, but I just feel like there would have been more of a comment from Verity. Although maybe Verity just has too much going on to really care what happened as long as it came back. Yeah. I don't know. Good thoughts on both sides, though. Yeah. I like it. I think the last thing, or at least one of the last things that we have is also by Amir, but it's a separate topic about uh, carving stone dragons, which kind of fits in a, a little bit to this uh, this chapter. Yes. It's about how, I believe, stemming from the conversation we had of, you know, how strong the skill u- user is versus how big the, you know, the dragon is and just right. kind of what makes it stronger than others. And Amir is talking about emotions. And it makes sense to me, at least, because a lot of what we know about Carving a Stone Dragon is putting your memories into something. And if you are very emotional, as Amir puts it, like Fitz is, right. <laughs> uh, you, can, you have a lot of those thoughts. You have a lot of those memories, those separate emotions generated. Right. Especially if you're witted, too, because you have more things to draw on upon the world because you feel other people's emotions. Right. You can add those in and that would be much, much stronger with the fool, with night eyes, with fits for that one. And he also mentions Verity here. So both Verity and Fitz put emotions in as well. And that's something to be watched for as Verity carves his own. So we'll have to see like how much Verity mentions Emotion emotions or like memory. yeah exactly from what i remember i think it's mostly just memories but we don't have an insight into verity's mind so like it's he could harder, be feeling yeah. those emotions but he's not right. going to verbalize them the way that we get it from fitz's point of view well i think he this chapter said something about how the feelings for her are the for ketrican were the strongest, the, were the strongest so yeah. they went in already yeah so there is there's some uh, some merit to those that yeah. conversation. So those are interesting ideas. And I really enjoy when you guys write in. So thank you guys. Um, before we go, I had a thought and I have a question. If Regal were to make a dragon, a la Verity style, let's pretend that he is capable of using the skill in the same way. How far do you think he'd get? Because like. He's pretty self-centered and I don't know that he has enough life experiences 
based on how self-centered he is to make a good enough dragon. Unless it doesn't matter if every single thought is about himself. I don't think he would ever take flight. I see Verity's drive to save the six duchies as something... I mean, this is this is my own personal thoughts on it. Yeah. I don't know if it's based on... <laughs> if this actually takes into account you being selfish or not, but his drive from outside of himself to get this done yeah, to save everybody around him feels like a stronger emotional reason to do so than I want to be powerful. Right. So I feel like Regal's without help would never take off. That's fair. I guess if you put every single stealth center thought you've ever had into a dragon at some point, the drive to finish is gone because why does it matter anymore Mm -hmm. if it's only for your benefit? Whereas all of Verity's memories are connected to that drive to finish, right? right? It's that overriding need that drove him there to save every little thing about his life and the people that he knows and loves. Right. So personally don't think you would get far. What shape do you think you would take? Mm, well, it would depend. I think if Regal saw um, Verity's dragon, he would like try to do a bigger dragon that looked similar <laughs> to be like, <laughs> I made it better. Um, but if he didn't see if Chivalry wasn't part of this, he didn't see the dragon or sorry, Verity wasn't part of this. He didn't see the dragon. I feel like he'd make a statue of himself. <laughs> that was my initial thought, but I'm like, no, he would want to fly. So I, himself with wings. <laughs> I feel like I feel like he would be the same as girl on a dragon and try to have himself riding a dragon. Mm, interesting. Okay. So like to show mastery over everything, you know. I don't know. Interesting thoughts. Yeah. Good question. <laughs> Thank you guys for reaching out and we can't wait to hear your thoughts for next week. 